Welcome to Digital Health 101. I am your host, Dr. Stefano Bini. Now this week, I am excited to welcome Dr. Michael Lesh, formerly at the University of California, San Francisco, in a number of roles, and now CEO of Syntegra.io, a company focused on synthetic data and its applications. We will learn what synthetic data is, how it differs from, say, de-identified data, discuss some real-world applications for synthetic data, and get into the potential it has to unchain data from its silos and enable machine learning at scale. Now, even if you never liked math very much, I think you'll find this topic fascinating. Please join me in conversation with Dr. Michael Lesh. Dr. Michael Lesh, welcome to Digital Health 101. Stefano, it's really a delight and an honor to be here. You're one of the most productive physician digital health experts that I know, and I'm really looking forward to the conversation. Awesome. Well, first of all, I'm going to have you introduce yourself to our audience a little bit, because obviously I know you, but please give us a picture of you. How'd you get here? Sure. Well, I have a computer science background originally and then became a physician, uh, wound up doing cardiac electrophysiology, and I was chief of that section at UCSF for a bunch of years, wound up inventing a catheter for treatment of atrial fibrillation. And that kind of launched me on a career as a medical device entrepreneur I've started several companies, always based around inventions that solve a major unmet need. In other words, rather than having a technology and trying to find a place to use it, I've tried to find major unmet needs and then bring a technology to bear. And I think the work that we've been doing with synthetic data is an example of that. And you were, just to interrupt you, you were the head of a cardiac electric physiology at UCSF for a while, right then? And then you came back to UCSF, had an important role there. What was that about? Yeah. So I wanted to give back to UCSF and uh, came back as the executive director of health technology innovation. And the idea was to figure out ways to share our technology with third parties that could benefit patients directly. In other words, how could we use UCSF technology to accelerate innovation in healthcare? And over time, that brought you to synthetic data, which is the topic of today's podcast. And before we get to your specific company and the work you're doing there, I really would like to delve into this idea of synthesis of data and specifically of how it can be applied to healthcare. So let's start with a definition. What is synthetic data? Sure. Well, if you don't mind, let's start with the problem that synthetic data is meant to solve. And that problem is that when you want to share data, let's say healthcare data, there are mandatory privacy concerns. You cannot just go share data with, say, a, you know, another researcher at another institution, because there's a risk of disclosing information about the patients that were in that original data set. So the whole idea of synthetic data is it's one of several ways in which you can prevent disclosure of confidential personal information. And the way that's done in general with synthetic data is you create a data set that sort of looks like the original data, but doesn't have any of the actual patients. And there's a number of ways to do that for healthcare data. So what's the difference between that de-identified data set that most people may be familiar with, which is a data set, again, you remove all the name, address, anything that's identifiable to that patient, and a synthetic data set? So de-identification is kind of a broken technology, to be honest with you, because of something called linkage attacks. So if you remove all those identifiers, that's great. But if somebody gets access to that de-identified data and they can scrape information off you know, the internet from Facebook feeds and email, they can wind up combining that information from public sources 
with the de-identified data and re-identify patients. So the standard type of HIP, uh, required de-identification doesn't really prevent re-identification. For someone who really wants to try hard, though, I mean, well, you know, yes, for someone who really wants to try hard, but. Quite frankly, healthcare information is extraordinarily valuable. You can get on the dark web right now and you can buy medical records for $1,000 a patient because if you get access to that, there's a lot you can do, you know, insurance fraud, you know, on and on and on. So re-identification is a real issue. Fraud, you know, hacking into systems is a big problem. So de-identification is good for some things, but it doesn't solve the problem of how do you really prevent re-identification of the data. Got it. So that's where synthetic data comes in. Where does this fit into as a science? Is it a math? Where does it come from? I mean, you know, you would basically call it data science. I mean, I think it's important to distinguish the types of synthetic data because it's not just one thing. And I could please do. That'd be great. Sure. You know, so at one level, there's something called rule based. And this is essentially saying, well, you know, if you take patients with heart disease and a certain percentage of them will have smoked and another percentage will have diabetes and you create this sort of Bayesian tree and then you create new patients that match that distribution. The problem with that is it's not really the distribution of a real data set. It's not the distribution of UCSF specific data. So then how do you take a specific data set and create a synthetic version of that? And again, there's several ways to do that. One is you can add noise. This is something called differential privacy. The problem is that you then lose statistical accuracy. In the past, there have been rule-based systems, which generate just based on rules from populations in general. And then there are ways that synthetic data is created out of an actual data set of real data. Those methods include adding noise, which is what's called differential privacy. Downside is that you lose information when you do that. And there's another class of synthetic data that uses what's called generative models. And that's the area of data science that I've been working in. Okay. So the noise piece is is almost like a confusion model. You've got John Smith is 42 and he's got hypertension, but you add 42 with an amputation, hypertension, and a stroke, and suddenly it's no longer John Smith. And it also introduces noise. It's not, not as accurate reproduction of the original data set. That's correct. less easy to track or to break, but it's not as useful as a data set for to doing algorithms. Then there's generative, which is you're actually creating, sounds like a whole new data set, whole new set of patients, but maybe they look like the original data set, but they're not the original data set. Is that what you mean? That's correct. I mean, I like to call it, you know, realistic, but not real. So it's a replica of the original data set, but contains none of the original data. Kind of hard to wrap your head around that. But what it basically means is that any statistical analysis that you want to do, that you could do on the real data, if you do that same analysis on the synthetic data, they will match. But within the synthetic data set, there isn't a single value that is, or not a single individual patient there, which could be tracked back to the other one. They don't exist, they're synthetic, correct? So no HIPAA issues, no regulatory issues. You don't have to worry about safety because that data set is of people who don't exist. The data set is people that don't exist. So therefore HIPAA or GDPR in Europe are not even invoked for that data set because there are no real patients. And yet from a statistical standpoint, anything you want to do, including making a predictive model, the synthetic data will produce the same result as the actual data without 
any risk, uh, or at least no mathematical risk, of being able to work backwards to re-identify a patient. So let's talk about what you can do. If you're synthesizing from a group of 100, another group of 100, can you do more? Can you do 1,000? Yes. Well, once you're creating a synthetic data set, there's a lot of things that you can do. You can augment the data. So let's say there's a rare disease and there's only 100 of those patients. We can create 1,000. So if you're trying to train a machine learning model, machine learning models need a lot of data. And if your source data has a relatively small population, we can augment that, create more patients. So that's one example. There are other things that we can do to the data. A really interesting area is what's called imputation, which means filling in missing values. So once you're creating synthetic data, you can basically say, I don't want to create any data that has a missing value. And the generative model will fill in those missing values. And so you create a a data set that has potentially no missing values. And those additional values are created from understanding what the values that the system has. That's correct. And uses those to inform how to fill in that blank. That's correct. It's learning the pattern. So let's say, you know, for example, every time there is a glucose measurement, it will be followed by an insulin dose. But let's say there are patients in your real record where the insulin dose was just not recorded. When we create a synthetic data set, we can make sure that every time there is a glucose measurement, it's followed by an insulin dose. So we're imputing the missing values where the insulin dose was just not recorded. So imputing is awesome. I've definitely worked with large data sets where the the missing values sometimes were sufficiently large that we couldn't actually work with that data set. So the other question, but just to go back to the amplification of the minority data set to, you can do it to represent an underrepresented group in a cohort, right? So if you've got a cohort of a thousand people, maybe it's an adequately representative of a a minority group, you can amplify that. And statistically will act not like you just multiplied the six present, you actually created six new individuals, right? These are not, when you amplify these, these are bona fide new data points. Every single patient that you create, every single patient record will be unique and it will not match any of the real patients or any of the other synthetic patients that you've created. So yeah, I mean, let's say you have a data set that has, I don't know, 60% men, 40% women, and you want to train a model that has equal weighting of men and women. It's very simple for us to do for what's called conditional generation to create a data set that's 50-50. And it, it knows the patterns that are different between men and women and it will balance that synthetic data set so that it has the effect of 50-50 gender relationship. Great. And just to go down this rabbit hole a little more because it's critical, is this idea that uh, we're addressing bias in the percentages, but if the subset that you're amplifying is itself severely biased, you, you can't get around that because it's learning on that bias, right? You know, that's, that's correct, but for sure, we're not going to expose bias. That's something that has to have been done. But what I will say, and perhaps we can talk a bit about this, is that we can take data from multiple sources and unify that. So to the extent that we bring in data from rural community hospitals and unify it with data from UCSF, we can create a synthetic data set that maybe overcomes the fact that the UCSF data set doesn't have as many rural patients. I think that was a valuable digression because... 
it is so critical to the whole enterprise of big data and analytics that we have data sets that are not only uh, safe for us to use, to avoid the whole uh, encryption business, the HIPAA, any of the security stuff, purpose of patient, but allow us to do this kind of modeling. At the same time, understanding that we can merge these data sets plus use that merging to eliminate bias, which has been a huge problem in all the big data analytics. Okay, so now that we have the synthetic data sets, what can we apply them to? Why would we want to do that? Sure. I mean, there's a number of places that you might want to use that. Let's say you are a hospital and you want to contract with a software company to help you optimize length of stay. And the software company says, well, if you give us your data, we'll come up with an algorithm that will optimize length of stay. And the hospital system says, well, but we can't give you the data. And this is a very common problem with hospitals, with health systems and you know developers of, of new AI approaches. Mm-hmm. So what the hospital system can do is train up a synthetic data set and immediately hand it over to that software developer without any risk of re-identification. The developer can then build a model that predicts length of stay. And then the model can be reapplied to real data of new patients coming in. So that's a very efficient way to take proprietary private data, use it outside of a health system to do prediction, and then apply that model back into, into the health system. So that's just one example. That's a good one, though, because it's something we can all relate to. So let's talk about that piece of it that we just went over, which we glossed over. You give this new tech company your data that you've gone through the process of creating a statistically and identical model to through synthetic data processing. What does that look like? How does that actually happen? How do the engineers talk to whom? How do they transfer this data? Yeah, I mean, you know, that really depends on the specific synthetic data generator. I can tell you with the work that we've done, you know, one of the things that health systems will never do is move their data, right? So if you have something that's going to train a synthetic data, but it requires the health system to move their data outside to do that, that's not going to happen. So in the work that we've done, we train a model on premises. So we bring the software to the health system. It generates a model which creates the synthetic data, the synthetic data can then be shipped outside of the health system. So you go to the IT department, you say, give us a server behind your firewall. Mm -hmm. There's an IT department. There's people that are managing, let's say what's called the clinical data warehouse. And we work with them to install our software on premises. They of course have to provide the local permissioning to get access to that. And then the generator just creates the synthetic data under essentially our control. And the synthetic data is then passed to the external user and either put on their platform or in the work that we're doing, we actually can host the synthetic data on a server complete with AI tools, et cetera. So one of the things I'd like to talk a bit more, now we have a better understanding of what synthetic data is, how it's actually obtained and how it's sent outside for for processing. So now that you create this health data sets that are synthetic and don't have privacy issues, how are they being utilized in, in the real world out there? Synthetic data isn't always generated to be used outside the institution. One of the places that we're uh, you know that that the work that we're doing is being used is in insurance companies. And you, know, you would think if you were Anthem and you have a bunch of data scientists that are trying to figure out the optimum way to 
to treat diabetes, that they would just get access to all of those patient lives, and then they could do their machine learning and, and predict better uh, treatment for diabetes. But that's not the case. The data scientists within insurance companies cannot get access to their own data. So the data has to go in what's called a protected sandbox. The tools, the AI tools, the machine learning tools are five years old. They can't bring in anything from outside, uh, you know, any, any new software. So what we've done in several cases is taken the insurance company's 80 million covered lives, create a synthetic version that sits in a sandbox, and now their data scientists can access all of that. There's something I, I want to talk about, which is the, the idea of hypothesis testing versus hypothesis generation. And I think this is a very important point to understand. The classic way that, you know, that statistics is done on, on data is you have a specific data set you want to look at, you know, diabetes patients who have heart disease and smoke, and you want to test a hypothesis in that limited set of, uh, of patients. The modern way is what we call data-centric, which is you take a large data set that contains diabetes patients and you let the data itself create the findings. So you're looking for patterns in the data. You know, oh, we found that diabetes patients who are admitted on Wednesday, you know, who smoked five years ago, those are the ones that are going to die during the hospital. And so synthetic data allows the data scientists to get access to an entire data set without having to pre-specify a question. Right. So just for the audience, let's talk a little bit about the Bayesian model, which you talked about, which I think you're referring to, is where a scientist will predetermine the questions they're going to ask of the data Correct. with the assumption that they know more or less what the variables that impact the outcomes are. Correct. And right. what we're learning is that sometimes we don't know the actual critical variables or they're all the variables. And so the data model can surface those. Absolutely. I mean, there's a very good example in the literature. There's a model called Cynthia, which is a Bayesian-based model, and it, it's been created on top of the Massachusetts state data. They did an outcome study where they used Cynthia to look at surgical complications. So they created a bunch of surgical patients, and they looked at the percentage of patients based on that model who had some complication, and it gave some number. They went back and looked at the real data, and it turns out the number of complications was much higher because that Bayesian model just missed the fact that the complications are not predicted by a, a given percentage in the Bayesian model. So that's, but that sort of finding, if you create a synthetic version of the Massachusetts real data, you will then find a, a higher incidence of complications that match the, the, uh, the actual data. So synthetic data allows us to work with larger data sets that we normally could work with and also integrate them in a way that's actually coherent. What is the future for synthetic data in healthcare? Where do you think the technology is going? Yeah, you know, I think some of these augmentation ideas, imputation, increasing uh, data set, increasing size of, of small data sets, I think that's going to be tremendously useful. So data scientists, you know, let's say with even in UCSF, if you're a data scientist and you want to get access to data to do some modeling, you've got to go through a long process, IRB approval, et cetera. And then if you now want to do augmentation, like, well, how do you do that? How do you do missing values? Because you don't have the whole data set. So imagine now you have the entire data set, the entire clinical data warehouse, that's a synthetic version. So you can do anything you want and you've imputed those missing values. So now you can create much better, say, predictive models if you're trying to predict surgical complications, for example. 
I think augmentation, imputation, those ways to augment data, I think are going to be important. I think creating fully fit for purpose data sets for things like synthetic controls in clinical trials. We haven't talked about that, but that's another use of synthetic data. It's something called synthetic controls. Which the terms are, are a bit confusing, but we can unify data from multiple sources, multiple health systems, and create a data set that matches a treated data set from a clinical trial. So synthetic data used to unify data from multiple sources, and then create a fit-for-purpose data set that matches the real-world data where patients have been treated with a, with a treatment. And a couple of last things before we go. I want to get to the advice for people who want to get into synthetic data, understand how to use it better. But I want to talk a little bit about the approach, if you're allowed to talk about it. the approach you guys sure. took at Syntegra, which is a novel way and a very interesting way of addressing this idea of creating synthesis. Yeah. So it is novel. We use something called language models, and these go by the term GPT-3, GPT-2. You may not be familiar with the terms, but you've probably seen some of the generative models that are created by these. For example, you can create synthetic New Yorker articles. So there's this very large pre-trained data set. You give it New Yorker articles, and you essentially turn the crank, and it creates New Yorker articles that look just like the real New Yorker articles, but never existed. You can give it Shakespeare, and it will create synthetic Shakespeare. I mean, it's it's amazing, actually. So we thought that, well, gosh, if these language models can produce synthetic language based on input of some corpus of text, what if we could take medical records convert them into what we call patient sentences, and then use those same type of uh, transformer-based models to create synthetic patient sentences. And that's, that's what we basically do. It's a very clever and thoughtful and just, it's just so cool that you can take these diverse, well, well divergent to a certain degree, it's still in the same sort of general area of interest, but really realizing that you can take these technologies or apply to, to language and see the medical record as a sort of language right. of its own. It's really true. If I may say, it's not quite as simple as that. There's a lot of work that has to be done to take, you know, data, healthcare data sits in tables. There may be a hundred different tables and pieces of patients are in each one of those tables. There may be uh, demographics and diagnosis and one patient has one entry in demographic and five entry in diagnosis. So we have to take those tables and turn them into these patient sentences. So that's a whole process in itself. Once they're encoded as patient sentences, we learn based on them, create synthetic patient sentences, and then have to convert them back to the type of tables where the original data was. Awesome. What words of advice do you have for people who want to implement synthetic data, either in their research or algorithmic development? I think you have to start with a use case. You have to know what it is you want to do. But if your goal is to create an entire data set that you can then just dive into and do whatever exploration you want, you know, there's literature out there. Um, certainly, we're always willing to uh, bring on collaborators for some of this work. You know, and I think if people show an interest, we're always happy to, to help direct them. Dr. Michael Lush from Syntegra.io, S-Y-N-T-E-G-R-A.io. Thank you so much for joining us today. If people want to follow you or track you or contact you, where should they find you? Yeah, we uh, have, a, have a website, Syntegra.io, and there's uh, links in there. Terrific. Thanks again for joining us and telling us a little bit about synthetic data, the ability to take an existing data set, 
create a synthetic copy of that data set that is not like the original, but from a statistical perspective, behaves exactly the same way. Allows us to use that data without worrying about HIPAA or other compliance issues and generate from that learning and, and insights. But also, interestingly, you talked about the ability of the same technology to fill in the blank where there's missing data in the, in the data set using imputation, and also the ability to balance data sets that may otherwise be biased in terms of their construction or their data set internally so that you can actually balance them out, which is also a super powerful tool. With that, I want to thank you and look forward to having you again back in the podcast, maybe in a year or so, see where you guys have gone, okay? Thank you, Stefano. It's been a real pleasure. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed our podcast, exploring the building blocks of digital health. If you like what you heard, be sure to hit the subscribe button to hear the latest episodes as soon as they're published. We hope to see you back for the next episode of Digital Health 101 on Digital Health Today. What kind of data can you synthesize? Can you synthesize x-rays? We cannot do x-rays right now. We're focusing on structured data. The first step is the structured data. The second step is notes. So physician notes, x-ray reports. We don't do that yet, but our plan is to be able to do NLP, natural language processing, and do extract concepts from the notes and then put them in the patient sentence. So the patient mm -hmm. sentence is a sequence of events over time. So structured data first, notes with concept extraction second, and then that can include things like x-ray reports. There are technologies for creating synthetic images. I would say it's very early, and I would say that the ability to re-identify a synthetic image is very problematic. Even things like head shape, you know, you can figure out who a patient is based on the head shape. So if you create a synthetic x-ray and, uh, you know, a C-spine, and somebody really wants to figure out whose C-spine that is, they can try to match, you know, head shape. So anyway, there are synthetic images for most of the applications that we see. People want the information from the x-ray. They don't want the actual x-ray necessarily. Uh, so what else is out of, um, out of reach or do you think is going to come next? Um, That's really difficult right now to synthesize. Voice is done. Right? So oh, I'll tell you. So sensor data, you know, time oh, series right. from, yeah. from the Apple Watch, for example. Yeah, so time series data from you know body sensors is something that people have synthesized sort of in isolation but we feel that we can combine sensor data with emr electronic medical records and create synthetic patients that include their data from the from their apple watch uh we have a guy children's uh, texas children's uh, cardiac icu doc pediatric cardiac icu doc who has a bunch of icu monitor data and the EMR, and he wants to try to figure out like when kids are going to start going to heart failure. And he believes that you can combine that monitor data with the EMR and make a better prediction. Great, however, he can't get access to that data to do the kind of analysis. So he's asked us to come in and create a synthetic data set that includes monitor data and EMR data so that he can then take it outside and you know create analytics based on that right now for him getting access to that data and being able to use it with easily available tools is, is a blocker